everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelitz and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network here, as always, with my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Steve, we're trudging along. All the slams are done. Labor Cup is done. We still got a couple big events left. Um, we're in the midst of it now. We had what? We had the Men's Beijing 500 event. Um, fantastic performance by Yannick Sinner, which we'll get to. The women are now in just finished Beijing. That's a thousand event for them. And then we're currently, uh, we're in the men's Shanghai Masters 1000 event. For the listeners, we're time stamping this on a Sunday night in the States. Uh, Steve, why don't we start with the, the Beijing 500 event? I mean, Yannick Sinner beating Carlos in the semis and Medvedev in the final, not losing a set. Pretty damn impressive. Yeah, very important step for him, David, if you think about it, because he played so well in the earlier stages of the year, and he also had a very good Wimbledon with the semis, but but uh, some disappointing results as well, despite winning a 1,000 over the summer in Canada, which was a breakthrough for him, a nice moment. But he needed this because essentially what had been happening is he kept missing out on the opportunity to play his young rival, Carlos Alcaraz. If he'd beaten Novak in the semis of Wimbledon, they'd meet in the finals. This was the pattern. Not that the losses were bad. Certainly it was no disgrace to lose to Novak, but he wasn't able to get to Carlos. Even at the Open where he lost to Zarev, and Zarev lost to Carlos. So there were so many times we were anticipating another titanic battle between Sinner and Alcaraz, and Carlos is clearly believes that uh, among the younger generation, this is his toughest challenge. And uh, we see it now in the head-to-heads with Sinner taking the lead. And it was quite a first set in this case. It went, it, 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 Sinner was almost down two breaks. He was down love two and saved a couple of break points. and Got it back to two all and then immediately lost his serve and breaks back again. That set goes to a tie break and he wins the breaker and then ran away with the second set, 6-1. And this was reminiscent of the second set of the Medvedev match at the U.S. Open. Carlos admitting in each case that mentally he was down. He's very honest about that, but it surprises me because when he's competing well, David, he doesn't. He seems to be able to start over. Like even the Wimbledon final, let's say, where he loses the 6-1 first set to Novak, the way that he buckled down in the second and eventually squeezed out the tiebreak from set point down, that's... That's the, the best Alcaraz in terms of competitiveness. But here, this was reminiscent of what happened, and, and he just seemed lost. He seemed at bay. Sinner played a great second set, and, didn't, and he was uh, unrelenting, and he, and, he, and he swept through that set very easily. But important win for him. Now, leave Carlos aside for a second. Sinner has to come off of that. Never beaten Medvedev in six tries before. Had lost to him a couple of times this year, including a, an important a couple of finals, including Miami, the 1000, where he wasn't feeling his best. And now he has to be Medvedev, who's, of course, just beaten Carlos himself at the U.S. Open. So I, going in, I thought Medvedev probably had the slight edge. Well, Sinner beat him in two tiebreakers. Different kind of match, David, than the one with Alcaraz in the sense that there were no breaks at all in this match. There was two breakers. Neither guy broke. But he played both tiebreakers. He really won them both pretty comfortably. And it was a really impressive to me that he could come off what for him is a probably more exhilarating win in some ways. Not that he isn't excited to beat Medvedev for the first time, but he comes off a big win over Alcaraz, backs it up, and wins the title. In some ways, 
a more impressive title run than what he did in Canada over the summer, which is a 1,000. So uh, now, of course, as we speak, he's won a couple of matches already in Shanghai. He's in the round of 16. I'm also impressed with that. No letdown. He hasn't played his best thus far, but potentially let's see what he can do here the rest of the way. But I and, he plays, and he plays Ben Shelton in his very next match. Ben Shelton, and, and, and that, obviously that's going to be a real test. And then who knows, he might end up playing Korda in the quarters if Korda can beat Sorindolo in his round of 16. So How about Sebi Korda? For the second time this year, beats Daniil Medvedev. We remember back in the Australian Open when a bunch of the Americans were making their run. Sebi beat Daniil Medvedev. And then just Sebi's just, you know, it's been off and on with injuries with him, and it's it's been the last couple of years, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, he well, beats the Neil for the second time this season. Yeah, excellent. And and you think about it, this is why this part of the year. I know you share the view of many others. There's so many tennis diehards are a bit let down after the Open. They feel like in some ways the season almost ought to shut down immediately. I get it. On the other hand. You take a look at someone like Corda, who lost such a big chunk of his season after that brilliant start, which also included a final in Adelaide where he had a match point against Novak before losing. So for him, the year had sort of started to get away from him. Now he's come back with a couple of solid tournaments in a row, a semi and a final. But this is an opportunity for him. And, and what does he do? He plays Medvedev. He's down. He had to save three set points in the first set breaker. And one of them at six, he was down seven, six, and Medvedev was serving at six, seven. And they had this, one of the great points of the season where he came in, it looked like he put the volley away. Medvedev scampers over, lobs off his forehand deep into, into Sebi's forehand corner. So Korda has to retreat and take the overhead on the bounce, start reworking the point. Then he ends up drop shotting Medvedev. Medvedev gets to the drop it was a crazy point where Medvedev was up at the net and then Sebi forced him back and Korda came up for the second time in the point and this time put away the forehand swing volley critical point ends up winning the breaker and David that whole second set Medvedev was back to his bad habit I would say it doesn't always do this of barking at his corner left and right taking out every one of, of his woes or his insecurities or whatever you want to call it and seemingly blaming his coach for every lost point. And he lost the second 6-2. And it was a good solid set from Korda, but not a good mental effort from Medvedev. So he's come off the U.S. Open final, the final in Beijing, which was not a bad effort to lose to Sinner in two tie breaks. So obviously he would have liked to have won the title and now takes this Second loss of the year to quarter. It's going to be fascinating to see what Medvedev can do the rest of the year. Uh, I don't think it's going to destroy his year, but I don't think it helps it either. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, I agree with you in that. We'll see how eager he is in the remaining matches, see how much his heart is in it um, for the remainder of the year. Obviously, they got yeah. the year end. Obviously, they got the year end, and that's where all the, you know, the best players are going to give everything they got. They know. There's no more tennis after that for that season. So I agree but with David, you. David, speaking of that, just let me interject one thing. That That's going to be such an interesting tournament because it, for Sinner especially, to play in front of the Italian fans in Turin and be a strong contender for the title and having seemingly obviously might have to go through Novak, might have to go through Carlos, but he's going to be a big factor in that tournament. Medvedev is going to want to try to find a way to win it too. I I'm, I'm just really fascinated to see 
those four guys to see Novak, Carlos, Danielle, and Sinner. You know, it, that, that foursome and what they end up doing in turn, because I think all four are going to be deeply determined to win that year-end title. I, I agree, and that will be a fun one to see. Let's let's swing it over to the women's side, um, where, you know, they, again, as we said in the intro, they have the Beijing, that's a uh, 1,000 event for them. And we'll say the summer of Coco leads into the fall of Coco, Steve. 16 in a row, beats Maria Sakari in a, a quarterfinal, um, loses to Iga Sviatek, obviously no embarrassment losing to Iga there. Um, I mean, we say 16 in a row. You could even go back from when all those questions were out there after her first round exit at Wimbledon. Starting in Washington, D.C., she only lost that one match to Jesse in yeah. uh, in yeah. Montreal, a close three-setter. You know, it's interesting to me, and she said it, and, and, and I kind of compare it to other players. I want to hear your thoughts. I'm going to ask you about it. You know, Coco said now that she's won the U.S. Open, she's playing more freer now. Like, it's almost like that pressure's off her shoulders. And it's interesting because we feel like, gosh, she started at 15. You're like, when's she going to win one? When's she going to win one? Well, she's 19 and she won one. But we felt the pressure each year because you saw all these other people winning it. And you see now that she's saying, okay, now the pressure's off. I can just play. Versus someone, let's say like, and and I, I know this was so rare, what she did going through the qualies and the main draw, not losing a set, but Emma Raducanu, who wins a slam, and it wasn't like a gradual buildup to that, Steve. All of a sudden, she wins, goes through qualies, main draw, doesn't lose a set. Her world completely changed, and that's going to affect any human being. Um, whereas with Coco and a lot of other players, it's a gradual rise to where they oh, yeah. finally get to that slam, and a lot of the players can then relax and say, now I can just play free. Yeah, and Coco had been in the finals of the French a year ago, and so she'd been building for this. But I think she's she is playing freer now. On the other hand, she got beaten soundly uh, two and three by Iga. Iga needed this win more than she did, David, more than than Coco. I think most neutral observers would say that because she hadn't played her best since the French. Correct. And and so she kind of needed a lift, and she did get it by winning the title. But I thought she was very impressive. There was. A difficult moment for Coco early in the second. She called the trainer out. I'm not sure exactly what it was. It seemed like a ailing shoulder. Yeah, yeah, the shoulder. And and how serious it was, we don't know. But uh, I, that that didn't help because she was playing Iga, who was really pretty much at her zenith. The forehand was just spectacular at times uh, from Iga Swiatek. So I was I was happy for her because, as I say, I think. Sriantek needed the lift. Coco can deal with loss here after the streak she'd been on at Cincinnati in the open, just rolling along and won Washington. She'd won three of the four previous tournaments. She was so hot. And I don't, I don't, I think this will do her some good, frankly. You go back to the drawing board a little bit. She didn't play badly. The scores don't really fully reflect uh, the, the level of her game and also don't give it it's it's misleading because so much of it was just Sriantec being really on and really up for this match. So there was an, it was interesting to see it. And now it makes me look forward even more to that rivalry developing because Coco finally beat her for the first time over the summer. Right. She's only beaten her once. Right. right. That was a breakthrough and she beats her for the first time now loses. Okay. That's fine. I have a feeling we're going to see a little, some fluctuating fortunes in that rivalry with each one, maybe having a little 
mini streaks of two or three and the other one coming back. At, I think that that rivalry will, will really be very compelling over the next three or four years, really. And, and I, so I don't think Coco is discouraged by losing the rematch here. She'll, she'll be fine. And meantime, Sriantec start, it, it just builds her confidence to not only beat Coco, but win the tournament with a solid uh, performance in the final. And I know the year's not over yet, Steve, but when you look back at, at the women's, um, the slams and the bigger tournaments on the women's side and WTA, if you were to ask me if I had a blank slate and I could pick any player that I think is going to have the best results, and you got the Sabalenkas, the Rabakinas, you got obviously Coco's run over the summer. Um, if you had to ask me, who am I picking out of any surface? I'm still going with Ega. What about what about you? Well, no, expand. Tell me what you. I'm not sure what you. I'm mean. I'm still. You give me a draw. Any tournament there is, any surface. And of all the great WTA players out there, of all the great results, and again, you had the Rabakinas, the Sabalinkas, you had yeah, Coco's yeah. on, right? I'm still, of all the women out there, right, I'm still taking Ega to win the tournament if I, I had to pick one. I go along with you most of the way. The one exception I'll make is Grass. I, I'm not convinced about her on Grass yet. We haven't quite seen enough. She's had a couple of disappointing Wimbledons in a row. I, definitely on hard or anything else. Yes, it, yes. All things being equal, you got to put your your life savings on it. You're gonna you're gonna go with her. Uh, I I would agree with that. So we got a few tournaments left, right? Um, then obviously we're gonna have the year end on both the WTA and the ATP uh, side of things. Anything that I mean, Novak's really being selective, obviously, with what he's playing, and he has the right to do that. Um, I mean, you saw his prep in the U.S. Open. He played one warm-up tournament. It was a Masters 1000 since he won it in that unbelievable final. I'm still, I'm still that that final against Carlos is still clear, clear as day in my mind. Um, more so than a lot of his U.S. Open matches. Um, what are you looking at? Are you looking at anything specific as we end up here? Are you looking? Are you are you looking at seeing if someone could really try to knock Novak off? Maybe in the maybe in the round robin stage or maybe in the semis or final stage of the year. No, you know what? He wanted it more last year because he hadn't won it for so long, and you know he had a couple of tough setbacks along the way against Dominic Team. Lost a lot of heartbreaking matches in the year-end championships, and then last year had had an excellent run right through the field. Didn't lose a match. Beat Rude in the finals. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be if it's going to be quite as big in his mind as it was last year where he just wanted to get that title back so badly, just like he did with the U S open this year, which he hadn't won since 2018. So I don't know. I think he's going to, I think he's going to be eager and determined, but it there won't be that same sense of urgency, perhaps Carlos more so because Carlos seems determined to, I think it means more to him to end the year. Number one, and people are looking at the, the rankings and seeing the big Novak lead, but in the, in the race, it's much closer, and it's about 600 points or less Carlos behind Novak. So Carlos, even if he wins this tournament in Shanghai, I think he would he would pass Novak. And uh, I don't think Novak cares that much because I think he feels like he played four slams this year and he won three and got to the final of the other, and that's more important to him now. And he's had seven years that he's ended num- the year number one, so it'd be nice to – end an eighth year, but he's much more interested in being sure to be fresh 
for the start of next year and get going and trying to win an 11th Australian. While Carlos would love to finish number one for the second year in a row, it should be a great achievement for a 20-year-old, uh, pretty much unprecedented. So I, that's how I'm looking at it. Carlos more determined to get things done now, between now and the end of the year, particularly try to win turn maybe. Novak just trying to do as well as he can. In fact, Novak, I think, David, would like to at least between the Paris, which I assume will be his return, and Turin, see if he'd love to get one of those titles if he could. I think he'd be happy to get either one and then go into next year pretty confident, especially coming off the slam results. And you mentioned, you know, you, you mentioned Carlos uh, just a few seconds ago. Uh, fans of his country mate, someone that we have not seen on any pro tour event, unfortunately, for quite a while. Mr. Rafael Nadal, there has been footage with Rafa practicing. There's been talks, obviously, you know, he wants to play Roland Garros. And then he also said he would love to play the Olympics with Carlos Alcaraz. That would be something, you know, again, it all depends on Rafa's health. But if he could have a good Roland Garros and then play the Olympics with Carlos, that would be a heck of a way to to go out if that's the way Rafa chooses to go out. Yeah, I see it the way you do. We got to hope that his body holds up. He's realistic. He knows that his dreams may not turn into reality this time. May not, but he's going to give himself every chance and try to ease back in and try to win a 15th Roland Garros and, as you say, the, the Olympics. A final thought about Carlos, by the way, because we talked about Novak. Carlos, oddly, for a guy that won his sixth tournament, he'd won title number six at Wimbledon for the year. Hasn't won one since. That's no terrible knock on him, but he goes, he loses to Tommy Paul in Canada in the quarters. He lost that epic to Novak that you just mentioned and uh, where he had a match point. And then he goes to the U.S. Open and he loses to Medvedev in the, in the semis and now this latest loss to Sinner. Okay, it's only four tournaments, but for Carlos, that's, that's, that's remarkable in itself because he was, he was collecting those titles so fast and fur furiously up until that. So I do think he definitely he definitely wants to tack on some titles now at this time of the year to carry him into next year and get get rid of that feeling of losing close matches, which has happened to him quite a bit recently. I still laugh and smile at it that, you know, when he first uh, came on the scene, everyone's like, this guy's going to be the next Rafael Clay and win, you know, the French Open. And he still hasn't won Roland Garros. Now, again, it's only been a couple of years, but we're just saying that if you were to predict what were the first couple slams he would win? Most people at the outset of his career said, oh, Roland Garros is a shoe-in, and he hasn't done it yet. I'm sure he will, but he just I remember, you just never know. Yeah, yeah, he will, he will. But the thing is, I do remember you were asking me at one point, and I think you pretty much agreed it, that, that it was, this was sometime in the last year or so, where you asked me, you know, who's, is Carlos better on hard or clay? And I said, I'm not so sure he's not better on hard. But it's such a close call, and he can—he's almost equally good on both surfaces. And now he's also won Wimbledon on the grass, so you feel like there isn't any surface he can't handle. It'll happen for him. He lost his Zarev in the a year ago in Roland Garros, and then had the cramping against Novak. That was a quarter, and then a semi with Novak where he cramped up. He'll get there. It'll—it'll it'll happen. I think sometime in the next two years, he wins Roland Garros. I agree. Well, this was this was fun, Steve. And I and, and I, I thank you for, you know, pushing me along. You know, my thoughts on the fall season. Um, it's it's I, I have I have various views on it. We've talked about it before, but you've done a great job these past couple of years just kind of 
pushing me along and absorbing <laughs> all the matches and following it along. So I thank you for that. Um, again, we'll do uh, the, the fall schedule is a little bit choppy. So um, generally in the October month, um, we may not do these every week, but we will obviously, if there's any breaking news, we'll definitely hop on the pod and cover it. Um, if not, you know, just, just hang with us during the fall and we'll, uh, we'll carry you through, through the rest of the year. So thanks Steve, for your time. David, thank you. I enjoyed it. <laughs>